0: After all these years since the institution of marriage, the world is still fascinated with it. Isn't it amazing with all of the attack on marriage and all of the things that we're hearing, you let a prince marry his princess and the whole world stops, even if it's 4 a.m. in the morning, to watch that wedding at Westminster Abbey. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And all the girls are starry-eyed, and the guys are frustrated they got up early. But uh, uh, it is just an amazing event, and uh, people are fascinated by it. And and a lot of the celebrity things that you hear about are all about uh, weddings. Well, that's because it is special. It is because God ordained marriage at the very core of our human Existence. Now, when you come into the Christian realm, there is nothing more exciting than a godly wedding. I can tell you what, they never get old. I uh, have a great privilege of, through the years here at the church and now with the college of being at many weddings, being part of many weddings. I, I think I've been a part of around 200 weddings now. So uh, uh, it's been a wonderful thing. But I'm telling you, every one The world stops for a few minutes, and there's a beauty about that that is just a glorious thing. And I'm a real wimp. I tell you, when I have to stand down there and I see that bride come down, and I feel this guy on my shoulder to the left, he's about to faint. (laughs) It's very rare. I may not show it, but many times I do. The tears begin to come. What a moment. Because I see that poor father who is now bankrupt <laughs> and is about to give this daughter his daughter to this guy. Can you imagine that? No, honestly, uh, it is a beautiful time. I had the privilege of five of my children being married so far, and it's just, uh, there's nothing like it to be part of that. I mean, it's sort of a crowning moment for you as a parent to see your children in God's will get married by faith. Hallelujah. I mean, it's a glory time. Marriage is wonderful. Well, folks, there is going to be a wedding that will outdo all the weddings combined. And we're going to be there. Turn with me first. I'd like you to look at it to Revelation chapter 19. Folks, prophecy, when God gives it, is as real as history. This is done. This will occur. I will be there and you will be there. And the beauty of that moment was so great and so wonderful that when it was viewed by the Apostle John, he fell at the feet of the one showing him in verse 10. It was overwhelming to this one who had leaned against Christ in his earthly ministry. But now he sees his Savior as the bridegroom, rightly receiving his bride. Let's read it. We'll begin at verse 4. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne. That's the church saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Let me stop here. There is something so noble, so stirring, when you see the crown prince, In his full military uniform, with all of royalty on him, stand at that altar waiting for his bride, the one who has the power. My friends, the Lord God omnipotent is going to be standing there to receive us. Well, let's go on. And we read, Let us be glad and rejoice, verse 7, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Note the next phrase, and his wife hath made herself ready. Let me say it again. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the, white, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Oh, my friends, we got an event coming that is worth just staying excited about all the time. I know you girls dream about your wedding, and there's nothing wrong about that. Just make sure that you really want to marry the guy that you're going to be in the wedding with. Uh, But... uh, I think sometimes girls are more concerned about all the wedding than they are about the the fellow. But anyway, uh, we need to realize that there is a time that will be absolutely overwhelming to the hosts of heaven as they see the perfect God, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of heaven and earth, stand there in all the royal robes that can even be imagined in all of his glory as a man the resurrected ascended Christ, receiving this bride who is now righteous by the blood of the Lamb. The beauty of that, the marvel of that will take everyone's breath away. But the bride had made herself ready all through the work of the Lamb. Now, my friends, I think we need to get back to biblical thinking. The church of the living God, every local church is the body of Christ. This is the bride of Christ. All over this land and around the world, represented by this crowd here, are churches that are his bride. And my friends, we need to get back to realizing it is not up to us to decide what the bride should do. We should make ourselves ready. There is a glorious bridegroom who is worthy of the church of the living God being all that it should be. God created us for oneness with him. Now as we know, God created the human race, male and female. In the very beginning, before sin ever entered in the world, he knew that we needed to understand the depth of the relationship he wanted with us. Do you realize the whole matter of maleness, female, is all about us understanding God? That we are made for a depth of union with him that uh, will go through eternity. And this whole matter of choosing to love And the matter of having a genuine relationship is all part of our learning why God created us. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. Can you imagine that? No marriage counseling in those days. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in the beautiful harmony and satisfaction of perfect marriage. When Adam first saw Eve, he immediately recognized her as his perfect companion. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, he said. He saw no blemishes or shortcomings in her. Both her character and her attitude were pure. There was nothing to criticize in Eve, and there was no critical spirit in Adam. They were totally unashamed. There was nothing evil, impure, or perverse in their nature. Man was created first. He was given the natural responsibility of leadership. And the woman was there to be the completer. It was all perfect because there was no sin. But then sin came. Man has a free will. We are created in his image. The latter part of chapter 3 of the book of Genesis tells us what God had to do in the order of man now to handle the matter of sin. The whole matter of marriage and the way we are created was made first in a purity but now we have to live with the reality of a broken relationship this evening in the few minutes that we have together i want to do something that i trust the spirit of god will enable me to do i want to interweave christ and the church with the husband and the wife we need to understand first and foremost our relationship with jesus christ as the church of the living god But then I want to submit to you, if we do not have the right kind of marriages, we'll never fully understand it or have the churches that we ought to have. And since God wove them together in Ephesians 5, I think to get the most impact about the church and about the core unit of the church, we need to deal with both at the same time. Ephesians 5, if you'll turn there with me. Now everybody heads into marriage thinking that they are Adam and Eve. I mean, this is the perfect relationship. I know my parents had problems. I know Aunt Susie and, and Uncle Joe, you know, they were cantankerous as can be. And I know all the, the jokes about marriage. But this one, this one is just going to be great. And there's all the starry-eyed uh, ideas. Well, it's not long until they realize that they are on this side of the fall. Saturday Evening Post years ago had a little humorous article that traced the tendency for marriage partners to drift from a height of bliss into the humdrum of routine attitudes called The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. The article likens the state of marriage to the reaction of a husband to his wife's colds during seven years of marriage. The first year sugar dumpling. I'm worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. There's no telling about these things with all this strep running around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. That was before, um, you know, uh, health (laughs) care. I know the food's lousy, but I'll bring you meals from Rossini's. I've already got it arranged with the floor superintendent. The second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough, and I've called Doc Miller to rush over here. Now, you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for Papa. The third year, maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel punk. I'll bring you something to eat. Have we got any soup? (laughs) The fourth year, look, dear, be sensible. After you feed the kids and get the dishes washed, you better hit the sack. (laughs) This is getting a little too close to home, I realize. (laughs) The fifth year, why don't you get yourself a couple of aspirin? The sixth year, if you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. <laughs> the seventh year. All right, stop sneezing. What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? <laughs> My son Wayne heard me give this one time. And as serious as he could be, he asked. My wife, if she had ever given me pneumonia, (laughs) I thought I'd better check up on my marriage here if this is the the view that uh, my son has. Now, folks, the reason you laughed was you related to that, okay? And the problem is we all do face self-centeredness, don't we? We all need continually a challenge about marriage. But, folks, that parallels our relationship with Jesus Christ. When you first got saved, then the next year, the next year. And that shouldn't happen, but it does. What do you think of Jesus today? How is your relationship with him? How is your church doing in its love relationship with the bridegroom? I'd like to first of all look at Christ, the bridegroom. We're just going to go right through this passage here in Ephesians chapter 5 and and just touch because there's so much to cover in just a few minutes here, but I want to put this together to challenge us first and foremost for our churches to be what they ought to be, the glorious church. But then secondly, to realize we'll never have a glorious church unless we have godly marriages of those who know the Lord as Savior. And so we see, first of all, that Christ, the bridegroom, is the head of the church. Verse 22. Well, I should just go back to verse 21 of chapter 5 there. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, he is the head of the church. Now, folks, you've got to understand how that came to be. He had us in mind this whole plan of bringing us to a place of that wedding, as we read in Revelation 19, before the foundation of the world. He is the lamb slain before the foundation. In other words, he accepted the responsibility for our lives, for your church, and my church before he ever even breathed the first breath into Adam. Now, folks, that's exciting. The thing that so many times pastors find themselves uh, feeling is that they're out there alone and what do I do and where is the Lord? My friends, if you look at Revelation chapter 1, you will find that Jesus Christ is in the midst of the candlesticks representing the churches and the pastors are in the very hand of the omnipotent Son of God. He has taken the responsibility for the leadership, welfare, and the growth of every local church, guaranteed. There is nothing that Jesus Christ is more concerned about than your local church and our local church. I mean, really. I mean, it's okay what's going on. No, it's not okay what's going on in Washington. But, I mean, you know, that all affects the local church. But, folks, what's happening in your church, he's taken responsibility to be your head. You don't need to flip over, but you can if you want to. According in verse 1, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. And it goes on to say, why? To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And then Ephesians 1.20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet. Now listen to this. And gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now in this age where God reveals himself where the Lord Jesus shows the fullness of who He is, is where? In your church. Now, folks, that ought to stir us deeply. When was the last time somebody walked into your church and said, What a God! What a Savior! There's deity all around here. That's God's plan for the church. He's the head. We're his body. Folks, we got to get a hold of that in these days. We're not an institution. We're not trying to uh, develop our own plans. Folks, it is tragic in America how pastors and leaders of churches have taken in their own hands to be successful rather than letting Jesus Christ be the head of a glorious church demonstrating the power of God. He is worthy of that. And so his body should be showing and evidencing the fullness of him that filleth all in all. But also we see he gives us his heart. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it. Now, I want you to listen very closely to this. This is one of the deep burdens that we have in this conference. We live in a far different world than those of you that are in your 70s and above grew up in. Used to be that the majority of people didn't even know someone that was divorced. Now, it's about 30% of children have both their natural mother and father. 70% do not. That's staggering. And there are many factors that have come in to exaggerate and complicate the insecurity that is natural in all of us. Our selfish nature makes us self-aware. And without God, we don't have purpose, so every one of us are insecure. The whole secret to true security comes with the right relationship with God. But because of all of the broken backgrounds, pastors, we have people in our pews that really struggle with insecurity and sensitivity in a greater way than ever. And so they really struggle with confidence in family, marriage, God using them in any kind of ministry. That's why we have to have a right understanding of the bride and the bridegroom. I'm here to tell you, He loves us unconditionally. He loves His church and He loves you. And my friends, we have got to preach who Jesus is and what He has accomplished. You see, surrendering to God is not putting ourselves under a tyrant. Surrendering to Jesus Christ is believing that he loves me unconditionally and he has the best interest for my life and I can trust him, trust him implicitly. This would be how marriage should be. I'm telling you, when you absolutely are convinced that somebody loves you, and I mean really loves you, will always stand with you, and that they have given you a purpose for your life, you begin to get over insecurity. Well, I don't care what kind of situation a person may have been from or are presently in, Jesus loves them. I mean he died for them. He is committed to them. He is unwavering. He will bring them to that wedding day. Our churches need to be overwhelmed with the love of Christ. And I'll tell you, pastors, may God strip away self and everything that hinders the love of Christ from being seen through us. Because they've got to see Him in our lives. I remember how aware I was of the wonderful security I had in my family. There was a dear family in our church, but... The, They struggled with their marriage and with their kids, and it's tragic what's happened to their family. This was in Colorado, and, and a tough old rancher, good old man. He'd grown a lot, but I was the same age as his son, so his son would have me come out and spend a day or whatever. And so I'd come out, and I'd be sitting in the car with them, and I'd hear them arguing about why in the world did they... Why did you let Paul ask Wayne to come? You know, that's, a, that's a really inconvenient. I'm feeling quite insecure about going out to the ranch, you know. I mean, that happened. I mean, I got to where I didn't want to go. Couldn't wait to get back in my dad's old station wagon because I knew there was a mom and dad that loved me unconditionally. And my friends, we need to have churches that teach the glorious truth you've already heard today. It's all about what he has done for us. It's not about us. You will never get your insecurity settled through achievement. It is only by understanding your identification with Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that he does totally and completely, and he fully, he has given us his heart. And he is our holiness. If you'll look at verse 26, the theme of our conference, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, folks, God is making us ready His glory is seen through the church. Now, folks, please understand this. There is no nation right now that he shows his glory through. That won't happen until the tribulation begins and then, of course, ultimately in the millennium. The glory of God is seen through individual Christians' lives, but according to the New Testament, we find it mainly through the corporate body of every local church. And so when churches are not walking with God when the world is in the church when there is not growth in their lives when the marriages are not what they ought to be Jesus has no way to glorify himself in that community and so he is preparing us for that day that we will stand before him and he is endeavoring in this wonderful who does the sanctifying and the cleansing he does What is the instrument he uses? The washing of the water of the Word. Now, folks, this is very important. We know this, we know this. But he is endeavoring to present us through the washing of the water of the Word, present it to himself. You know what the word present means? To draw to himself. It is speaking of the relationship. You see, by the Spirit of the living God who indwells us, taking the divine revelation of God, applying it specifically to our life, and we respond in obedience, the Spirit of God is able to deal with those things that are unholy, not Christ-like, That the aspects of self, unbelief, and as we take steps of obedience according to the word, depending upon the grace of God, our lives become transformed. And guess what happens? We are presented in a closer relationship all the time. You see, the goal is that there really ought not be much difference between your church on this side of the rapture than on the other side. Lord Jesus ought to be able to say to the angelic host, I'm right in the middle of that church. I'm one with them. Look at the glory of the holiness of my grace in their life. Folks, where did we ever get this idea that we needed to be like the world to reach the world? that we had to lower ourselves to the enemy of Christ's function to be able to do the work of God. His whole point is we are his bride, we are his very body. It is through our being united with him and living like him that we are able to actually then glorify him by reaching this world. We have it all-opposite. And, you know, we, can, we have for years, as fundamental Baptists, looked over at the compromising evangelicals. But I can tell you right now, fundamentalism is absolutely riddled with the same philosophy. And that is because we have a lack of faith. We're not believing that God can transform us and that God's power is what builds a church and reaches a community. It is not human ingenuity and human strength. Now, God uses the abilities that, that uh, we have at all we need to realize that he's preparing us and strengthening us so that we can accomplish his purpose the washing of the water by the word now folks we're going to talk about this in a couple of days but i'm really burdened if our people would really have a reviving work in their hearts And have a genuine love relationship through the power of the Holy Spirit. And begin to truly obey the Spirit of God through the Word of God on a regular basis. When they win someone to Christ, that new convert will quickly be like the one that led them to Christ. Because that one who led them to Christ is obeying and obeying and obeying. He's being washed by the water of the word. He is presented to Christ. He is living in that close relationship. His life is all about Christ. So that new convert, all he knows is somebody that loves Christ. And that convert is trained to walk in the power of God and obey God every time God talks to him. And it's not going to be long before that convert is winning others to Christ and discipling them likewise. Folks, God's plan is not complicated. It is obedience, independence upon the Spirit of God. It is tragic that we are not doubling and quadrupling every year as New Testament Christianity in America. Folks, the problem is not... America or Western civilization. The problem is America in the hearts and lives of believers that live here. The good life, the comfortable life, the American dream. I tell you, it really bothered me, and I very much honored President Bush, and I appreciated his leadership. But I think he made his greatest and most tragic mistake the week after 9-11 when he said, America, go back to normal. You remember that? I understand what he's saying. Go ahead and pursue the American dream. That was a rare opportunity for America to wake up. We didn't, and we are where we are today. Now, friends, God's not going to give us revival until we are jealous for his name. God's not going to answer the prayer of revival. He's not going to just zap us. Until we seek his face because we want to be that obedient Christian. We love him more than anything else. And we want other people to. And we begin to allow him to reach others through us. And God begins to work. I'm telling you, he's going to be very interested in doing things that we've never seen before. You know, we've got enough churches here. I dare these churches represented here to begin to follow the bridegroom. And get back to really believing Him. Well, I've got to move on. There's so many things here. He gave the Holy Spirit to nourish and cherish. I love this. So ought men, verse 28, to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourish and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We were laughing today, my little grandson John, woke up from his nap, Elizabeth and Stephen's son, and he was quite put out that he did not get fed immediately. Now he's been trained better than that. He knows he's supposed to eat at a certain time. And, uh, but you know what? He's a man. <laughs> I hate to tell you, fellows, but we take good care of ourselves. Uh, you know, You know, you, you stop by Dunkin' Donuts, (laughs) Um, some of you more pagans stop at Starbucks, I understand that, (sighs) what's the one up in Canada, and New England, Uh, yeah, Hortons, okay, whatever, you guys sneak over there, I know that, I do too sometimes, but anyway, you know, we're really good at taking care of ourselves, aren't we? Well, it's a beautiful picture here that we're to put our wives first, take care of her first. Now folks, this is great news. He loves us unconditionally down to the point that he takes care of us as well as the Trinity takes care of each other. We have his peace, his joy, his love. I'm telling you, there's not a a little ache in your heart. There's not a trial you face. There's not a situation that you have that he is not ready to nourish and cherish you. In fact, the very things that stop us from looking to ourselves and living the normal life that cause us to have that ache in our heart, those are the very things that let us see the nourishing and cherishing of our God. What What a bridegroom. What a bridegroom. Oh, there's so much to say there, but the Holy Spirit, listen, if you'll just say, Lord, I want to know you, you have the Spirit of God within you. He will reveal Christ. He will reveal the Father. He will meet every little need. He'll give you wisdom for everything. Listen, He will answer every prayer as you seek Him. Folks, you can have an interactive relationship with Him that's rich 24-7. Amen. That's fact. That's fact. American believers don't even begin to understand what we have in Christ. Oh, he wants to, he's the comforter. Many a time I've had to weep over hard things that have happened, and he's never let me down. In fact, some of the greatest joy, I remember when I was at the lowest ebb, my son was about to die. I went home and had to get something. I was by myself. And it's nothing worse than going home to an empty house when you're hurting. And I sat down and the Holy Spirit sang to me. You say, no, wait a second. He didn't do that. Yes, he did. Okay, I'm the one that knew. But uh, uh, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I just thought, he does. He loves me. I'm okay. The comforter. He cares more about you than you care about yourself. Folks, how can we love anything else? How can we do anything else with such a great Savior? Then, finally, our Savior. He's our home. And um, I uh, could say much about that, but let me just say, our relationship is one for oneness and it's one for permanence. Praise the Lord. Well, I need to move on quickly. Let's turn now to the church's response to be submissive to Christ, first of all. We go back to verse 22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. We are to be submissive to Christ, he is Lord. But it's deeper than that. He is the Savior of our body. He is, he is the one that purchased us. He created us. He purchased us. He loves us. He's given us the Spirit of God. He is doing everything we need. Why not yield? That's the point. And again, I want you to realize, as we mentioned earlier today, the only way anybody in Menominee Falls is going to hear from Jesus is if I speak and you speak, part of Falls Baptist Church here. His body, his local churches have to be yielded so his purpose can be accomplished. We must be submissive to him. And then we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. It's by the washing of the water by the word. Let me just say, folks, the early church met every day. Now, I realize we can get busy with non-essentials in our churches. We do live in a very busy culture. But if we were really in love with Christ we would want to get as much of the word as we possibly could to be as much like Christ and to minister to one another. Every time the word is preached every time it is taught you need to be right there saying Lord what would you have me to do? There can't be a day go by that you don't get in the word of God and allow him to change you. Just think you have the spirit of God who is the great teacher that wrote the Bible. You have the author in you. He will take this word and open up what None of the scientists and the great philosophers will ever be able to understand. He is able to bring you into connection with the God of the universe every day. He is the one who's ready to sanctify and cleanse us today. He's ready. You say, but I've been so bad. Well, that's the whole point. He's ready to do it. As you've already heard great preaching on that. And folks... I am deeply burdened that we listen closely to the Spirit this week because the church needs to be sanctified by the Spirit, submissive to Christ, so that we can be the servant of Christ, heading down the obedience pathway of accomplishing His purpose in this day. Why do we have spiritual gifts in the local churches So, the local churches can strengthen one another so that we can be ready to absolutely shake our communities. Folks, God has everything we need right now for every one of our communities to know within a year there's a God in heaven. And I'm not talking about a big event, I am talking about revived Christians that just begin to talk about their Savior. Listen, when you're in love with Jesus, you got to talk about him. When your life's being changed, you'll talk to your neighbor about that. You'll talk to your extended family member about that. You'll talk to your co-worker. The reason you're not witnessing, the reason you're not talking, is that some the things are not happening in your life. Listen, if you love your wife, you talk about your wife. You talk about what a I mean, over and over, you know, I I tell folks, I, I just... I can't believe how good God has been to me. My whole ministry, my family is my wife. You, it's, it's just natural to talk about it. And wives about your husbands, if you love them, it ought not be, I got oh, I got to do this like we heard early today. And so we need to understand that we are to be accomplishing our purpose and having power. And let me me say this, and I want to say this strongly if I may. We need to be satisfied with Christ alone. He is enough. He is the altogether lovely one. I tell you, the bride eyes only the bridegroom. As the the Sands of Time beautiful song says. Eyes for no one else. A godly marriage is, you know, a good marriage means that you don't even have to have other friends. Good test of where you are is could you get locked up on a desert island with only the two of you just, you know, with enough provisions to make it and nobody else around and be happy? That sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) But I mean, see, we don't know much about a relationship with Christ, we're not even satisfied with the basic things God's given us. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore is a friend of the world is an enemy of God." Do ye think that scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us, a lusteth or is jealous of our adultery? Folks, I am just, I, I believe we can see some of the, the greatest days ahead in the in American church, but it won't be until the church is satisfied with Jesus. Listen, churches that are walking with the Savior love prayer meetings. Love times that center on Christ. Love telling people about Christ. My friends, when we have to depend on all other kinds of things and we've let the world come in and we do not want to live for God and and, listen, we've got so much stuff being pumped into our lives and so many distractions. Spiritual adultery. There'll be no revival. There'll be no seeing children go on and having the power of God in their lives. We've lost this generation. Beautiful picture, isn't it? Church, make yourself ready. We need to make ourselves ready. He's worthy. What are we doing? Running around, doing the things we do, and even the priorities we have in our churches, and the lack of belief, and on and on we go. Well, let me finish just quickly with this. No church can experience this reality if it is not first understood in its marriages. Brother Hurth got a bit um, too personal this afternoon, didn't you think? he started talking about marriages, talking about fathers, talking about pastors, talking about husbands primarily. I can tell you right now the secret to rearing godly children is having a godly marriage. And the secret to having a, a, a church that understands the love of Jesus is to see it demonstrated in the home. So let me apply this just very quickly here. First of all, the husband. You remember how we talked about that Jesus took responsibility for us? And we can have total, uh, just total security in that. Gentlemen, leadership is not being the boss. Have you ever had a boss that told you he's the boss? Isn't that the most irritating thing you've ever heard? He just went down 20 pegs. You already started thinking about getting another job, right? A good leader doesn't tell you he's the leader. He accepts responsibility for the welfare of that job and for your welfare. And wants to, a really good leader wants to make you the best employee possible. For the sake of the company. And for your sake. You see, godly leadership is servant leadership of the right sort. It is accepting responsibility for the decision-making, the consequences, and all that goes along with the leadership within the home. It goes far deeper than making decisions. I have found that when a godly husband and wife have, have good communication, have a good relationship... The husband takes the responsibility by making the decision, but 98% of the time it was the wife's idea because she's a little wiser than the husband normally. I mean, that's just the way it works. And um, I'm actually not joking, folks. Uh, There's a lot of wisdom in listening to the counsel of your wife. But the point is, it's not being the boss. It's being the responsible one that puts the... God gave you shoulders to take the pressure. And... um, and our wives need to know we're absolutely committed to their welfare and that they are totally secure in us. A man gave this illustration, uh, or this, a lady gave this illustration soon after their last child left for college, the husband was real sweet, was resting next to her, and then he put his head on her lap, and it was just one of those really sweet moments, and uh, she looked down at him with real love and took his glasses off, and she said, you know, honey, without your glasses, you look like the same handsome young man I married. Honey, he replied with a grin, without my glasses, you look pretty good, too. That's not what we're talking about here, all right? In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says that men are to dwell with or make their home with their wives according to knowledge. Two things. The knowledge that they have to be the follower, and that's a big deal. We need to really respect the fact that God has told them to be the completer. So their whole life rests on who we are, what we are, and how much we bring them into our lives. Secondly, they are the weaker vessel. We're not necessarily talking about uh, strength, because there are some ladies from Iowa. And uh, (laughs) that wasn't me. Anyway, uh, but uh, we're talking about the whole matter of bearing children. And so husbands need to accept the responsibility, I'm going to take care of my wife. I'm not going to go into the illustration, but I learned something about the love of Jesus for us. I was the oldest son. My mother was an orphan. It's amazing, her walk with God. But she did have some insecurities from that, very understandably. In her late uh, 50s, I'm sorry, late 40s, menopause hit. And to the shock of everyone, she went through a very difficult time. And I'll never forget Dad bringing me in. I was just finishing high school, going into college, and he said, Son, this, my, something was wrong. I could tell my mother's face was flushed. She was just upset, and this was very unusual. My parents didn't have that kind of relationship. And he said, now I want you to know, son, this is the finest woman on earth. I love her with all my heart. And he explained what menopause was. And she wasn't really enjoying this conversation. I remember her spitting and sputtering over there. Not spitting, literally, but, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm just, you know, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he said, you know, we may go through some things where she says things, and I want you to protect the other kids. But we're going to love this woman. She's the best mother in the world. She's been the best wife. And we're going to get her through this. This is not easy. And he explained all this to me. And we just sat down, both of us hugged her, and just wept for about 10, 15 minutes with her. I learned something about love. She relaxed in arms. Two men were going to take care of her. I'm glad I got in on that. I remember when my mother died, I explained that to my younger siblings, and none of them really could remember that era of her life very much because Dad took such good care of her. I remember some very bad times, but they didn't remember them. Gentlemen, our wives are one with us. Aren't you glad when you go through times that you're not thinking right, that Jesus puts his arms of love around you and he's secure with you? I'm so glad. It's just a glorious thing. I tell you, gentlemen, accept responsibility for your wife. Love her unconditionally. Love her unconditionally. She needs to be the most valuable person in your life, not compared to anyone else. She needs to know that you revel in delight in her fully. Everything about her life depends upon what you think about it. Billy Sunday said, try praising your wife even if it frightens her at first. <laughs> and uh, we do need to realize that our wives need to know that it's not performance, it's not how they look, We truly love them. And I'll tell you, fellas, this is all nice, and you're saying, would you hurry through this quickly, Pastor? Uh, But self is a big problem. I'll just be honest with you. Going through this, and we talked about this last week, I got under real conviction. Do I love my wife as I love myself? Do I put her before myself? Do I really make decisions where I'm sacrificial? And a statement that was made today by Pastor Hearth really got me. I will love my church as I love my wife. It all goes together. There's a lot of self folks that needs to be dealt with. Loved unconditionally. Recently, this statement came out, the most consistent research finding out about what is Different in the communication of strangers and people married to each other is that married people are ruder to each other than they are to strangers. <laughs> they interrupt their spouses more, put their spouses down more, and are less complimentary to each other. I didn't have to tell you that, did I? There's nothing, gentlemen, that irks a wife more than see how nicely you treat somebody else. We need to lead spiritually. You notice these parallel here. I'm gonna give another illustration this very passage. Many of you have heard it. but Let me just say it quickly. My dad was at the height of his ministry in the sense not only at the church, it was growing rapidly. I was there now as his assistant. But it, he was also traveling a lot. And my mother was in her mid-50s. And she had a lump. It looked like nothing was a problem, that much of a problem. We went expecting this to be a very quick procedure and came out, the surgeon came out much later than we expected and said, this is, I can't remember if it was stage 3 or 4 cancer and it already spread to lymph nodes. You're in serious trouble. What a shock. My dad and I walked out on a little porch area there and my dad didn't say anything for a long time, I just didn't know what to say. I was there alone with him. My dad didn't show emotion much. But I'll never forget, he turned to me and said, Son, you've got to pray I get seven more years. I think it's going to take seven years. Your mother has the needs of her background. She's not ready yet to see Jesus. She's one of the finest women I know, but I, I've been too busy to guide her and lead her and, and just nurture her. And I'm telling you, he just broke down. And I remember praying in a very sacred way, I said, Dad, I'll pray for that seven years. She went through cancer several times. It was a very tough eight and a half years. But just before she died, my dad and I were walking out to the car and he said to me, I'm going to really miss her. And oh, he was crying. With a glow in his face, she's ready. And I knew he knew what he was talking about because I saw the time he spent. He changed his schedule. He did things. And those of you from that church know what kind of relationship that was. Folks, we're going to live in eternity. Gentlemen, is all, are all the things you're doing all that important? We need to live unselfishly. One author talks about a, a man who had just about had it with his wife of three years real experienced husband. He no longer thought of her as attractive or interesting. He considered her to be a poor housekeeper who was overweight, someone he no longer wanted to live with. Joe was so upset he's going to divorce her. But before he served the papers, he made an appointment with a psychologist for her to find out how to make life as difficult as possible for his wife. I mean, this is a real wonderful guy. A psychologist listened to Joe's story. He said, I got the perfect solution for you, Joe. Here's what you do. Starting tonight, when you get home, I want you to start treating your wife as if she were a goddess. That's right, a goddess. I want you to change your attitude toward her 180 degrees. Start doing everything in your power to please her. Listen intently to her when she talks about her problems. Help her around the house. Take her out to dinner on weekends. I want you to literally pretend that she's a goddess. Then after two months of this wonderful behavior, just pack up your bags and leave her. That will really get to her. Well, that's nasty. Ah, he loved that idea. He was all stirred about this. So that night he started to treat his wife as she were a goddess. He couldn't wait to do things for her. He brought her breakfast and bed, had flowers delivered her for no apparent reason. Within three weeks, the two of them had gone on a two uh, on two romantic weekend vacations. They read books to each other at night, and Joe listened to her as never before. It was incredible what Joe was doing for his wife. He kept it up for a full two months. After the allotted time, the psychologist gave Joe a call at work. Joe, he said, How's it going? Did you file for a divorce? Are you a happy bachelor once again? Divorce, asked Joe in dismay. Are you kidding? I'm married to a goddess. (laughs) I've never been happier in all my life. There's a lot of truth to that, fellas. The only problem with your wife is you. Aren't you glad Jesus takes responsibility for you as his bride? Don't blame your wife. Take responsibility. And then unite completely. She needs to know that your marriage is permanent. Now, ladies, I'm just going to touch on your responsibility because it is in here. You need to have a heart of accepting your role as the completer and be submissive to your husband. It's a wonderful role. God made you to be that You have that wonderful privilege of knowing relationship and understanding the heart, and and you will find great security in allowing your husband to be the leader and to trust him. And by your very followership and by your desire to really build his leadership, you will enable him to be in a place of confidence that he can accomplish God's will. It's a tremendous thing. Be a support for your husband. Poor lady had so struggled. Three couples, the pastors and wives, had struggled in their marriages, and they went on a three-day retreat to try to get some help. And uh, God worked in all of their lives. And one young preacher's wife stood up and, and was so nervous, she just boggled this, bungled this whole thing. She said, The Bible promises no good thing does the Lord withhold from them that walk uprightly. Well, she said, sincerely, my husband is one of those no good things. <laughs> <laughs> But ladies, you start being the completer, you're going to find a depth of joy that you've never known. Remember, we accomplish our roles unconditionally. We do them because God said it, and when we do it God's way, be the keeper at home, be the keeper of his heart, be the keeper of his children. Follow Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Let the heart of your husband safely trust in you. And then... Be satisfied with your husband. Don't look to friends. Let me just say, it's tragic today. Young women and older women live unfriending people in artificial ways all over the world. And are very dissatisfied. I'm telling you, the tragedies are incredible. Oh, listen, just get it settled. I am going to love my husband and be all that God wants on her golden wedding anniversary, this lady's grandmother revealed the secret of her long and happy marriage. She said, On my wedding day, I decided to choose 10 of my husband's faults, which, for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. A guest asked her to name some of the faults. Well, to tell the truth, she replied, I never did get around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hop and man, I would say to myself, Lucky for him, that's one of the 10. <laughs> Now, folks, one of the key secrets to really developing a strong relationship is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord and to realize we're there for each other. If your wife was perfect, gentlemen, you'd be in terrible trouble. There'd be no need for you. Male, female, we're different. We need each other. Personalities, giftings, strengths. God beautifully puts weaknesses and strengths together. And the minute we react and are frustrated with someone's weakness, that's immediately a wake-up call. That's why we're in that marriage. And so when you react, the problem is with you, not with your spouse, even if what your spouse is doing is really a problem. Because God wants us to immediately say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I'm telling you, if you will follow that rule of thumb, you see, every reaction within yourself is wrong. You don't allow bitterness to come. You don't allow unforgiveness to come. You don't allow reactions to come. You don't have expectations. You simply see your wife or your husband's need as your privileged opportunity to meet a need. It will radically transform your marriage. Again, let me remind you Jesus meets your needs, you're not perfect. In fact, he died so that you could be. He sacrificed everything for you. Well, friends, I've covered a lot tonight, and I knew I would. The basic burden tonight, we're the bride of Christ. When is the church of the living God going to love their Savior and allow him to do what he wants to do? I don't think, though, it's going to happen until husbands start really being husbands and wives still start really being biblical. Folks, it, the self-life is killing us in our churches. Until we are broken and get right and say we're sorry, repent specifically, get down to letting God work, we're not going to understand how much Jesus loves us. i tell you, man, you need to be so in love with Christ, you don't care what you have to deal with, and that love just ought to spill over and your wife doesn't know what to do with it because the love of Christ is all over you. It will change the whole church. Wives, you've got to get rid of whatever it is in your heart and begin to love your husband and have the right kind of attitude and you're going to understand, you're going to see the love of Jesus Christ right through your life. Do we really want to glorify the Lord? The bride needs to make herself ready. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you for your patience tonight as we've covered a lot. But folks, I am so burdened that churches begin to live out the real thing. That this world knows we got a great Savior. You know, when people see the goodness of God, it leads them to repentance. But the only way they're going to see it is through us. Individually and corporately. So we bow before the Lord here tonight. How many would say, Pastor, I know the Lord is my Savior. But God has dealt with me about some area. Maybe, Pastor, you're a leadership, or maybe it's a matter of faith. There's so many things we could be dealt with about. But really, my big burden right now is we start by just being honest about our marriages. Is your wife absolutely secure in your love? Does your wife know that it's unconditional are you putting her first are you nourishing her cherishing her is she the love of your life wives are your husband secure in your followership and in your support and in your having a vision for him listen until we have the love of God in our families it's going to be very difficult for us to understand it in our churches And our children will not follow Christ if we will not follow Christ in our marriages. Tonight you'd say, Pastor, as a husband or wife, I have to admit, as I've heard the different preaching on the self-life today and the need for brokenness, I really do need to get some things right. There needs to be some radical changes. I need real Christianity in our home. I need, the, I need Jesus to be present. I need to have such a reality of God in our home that the church can't help but know it and be encouraged to love the Savior. And God has specifically dealt with me. Would you pray for me? With heads bowed, would you just slip your hand up if that's your heart cry here this evening? There are some things that really need to change. God bless you. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Maybe there's some young people here, and you'd say, Pastor, you didn't preach to us, but I know the love of God is not seen in my life. I'm not responding right to my parents, and I've just been touched about that. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up, because that's a very important matter? Yes, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Maybe there's some pastors or leaders of churches here, and you'd say, Pastor, we've got to get on the matter of really having the reality of Jesus be in our churches. We've got, to, we've got to be a church that is obedient. We've got to be a church that knows how to pray. We've got to be a church that seeks the Lord until he is found, and I know he will be. And I've got to get my faith back. I've got to get back. I've got to deal with unbelief. But God's been working in my heart, and I want to see my church be the glorious bride of Christ that it ought to be. And God's dealt with me specifically. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up also here if God's worked in your heart that way? Amen. Maybe you're here today, you're not even certain you're part of the bride of Christ. It's through his blood that you are redeemed. You would say, Pastor, pray for me. If I were to die, I'm not certain I'd be in heaven. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that at all? We don't want to miss you tonight, how important you are. Lord, we just pray in these final minutes that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, we've covered a lot tonight. Lord, you are in our midst. You're here right now. And I ask you to reveal yourself, manifest through the Spirit of God in in a supernatural way. Lord, we need you. Lord, it is so sad how empty and bankrupt our churches are. Lord, our prayer meeting should be alive. Lord, our, our whole corporate life as a church ought to be just filled with the reality of Jesus. Our homes ought to be sweet and a touch of heaven. Lord, it's, we must not let the world wreck the testimony, and the reality of what you can do. Your grace is abundant. You're able to do all things. And Lord, every hand that was raised, would you specifically work in their life? I pray for great victory in families, in leadership of churches. And Lord, I pray that we'll get a hold of the vision in these next couple of days of what you can do by your power. Lord, it is time that churches really begin to understand what Christ is doing. He is making us ready. And Lord, there is a great harvest that you're ready to call out, but the glory's got to be seen first. And so I pray that we will indeed look to you. May we make no excuses. May we be honest. Lord, there's just self has to be confessed even tonight. Would you do that? I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand. I'm just going to have the instruments play an invitation song. And, um, if you need to do business with God, you know how God is working. I want to take, give you a moment here. and I think sometimes we just need to be honest. Pastors, we need to be honest. Husbands, we need to be honest. Wives, we need to be honest. I think there's a lot more getting right. Honesty, openness, humility, transparency. That's got to happen. than we're have happening and then God will bless. And so if God's worked in your heart and there is a need there, I urge you to come now as the instruments play.